Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be doing a coaching call with an accredited investor. These guys seem to always really like these because everybody, we're all the same at the end of the day. We're all good savers, work hard, pay too much taxes, and I want to get to financial freedom safer and easier. If you guys want to sign up for the next one and kind of put yourself out there, we can make a fake name for you. We don't have to use your profile, picture, video. Go ahead and join our club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Complete the quick one-minute form so we know you're a real person out there because we like to know who's out there on the other end. And uh, reach out, send the team an email at team at Simple Passive Cashflow and volunteer yourself. And at least we'll send you the personal financial sheet worksheet so you can outline your entire personal financial world on that sheet. Before we get going, just want to thank everybody for buying the book, leaving a review. My book, The Journey to Simple Passive Cashflow on Amazon, or became an Amazon bestseller. First week it came out. Thank you all for going there and grabbing. If you haven't yet, please check it out. Please leave a nice review. And uh, I'll finally make my parents proud that they know that they uh, raised a author since they don't know what the heck I do these days and I'm not engineering things anymore. But anyway, if you just for you podcast listeners, if you guys want to get a free electronic copy or better yet, I sat down and I read the entire freaking book. And I did it in every chapter and I interjected some extra things in there for you guys as sort of a special edition. So if you want to get that, it's free at simplepassivecashflow.com slash book. If you got any friends, feel free to share the link too. It's all podcast exclusive. Thanks again. Join the club and here's the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Pasta Cash Flow listeners. Today we have another coaching call with an accredited investor, Nick, who is going to be talking a lot about a lot of things, maybe taking money out of his retirement account. We'll start to get digging into it. If you guys haven't, check out the website. Got a lot of resources on there for free, turnkey buyers, syndication investors. And I think one thing that's going to be pertinent today is we're probably going to be talking about retirement funds and what to do with that. Maybe it's not even an option for you. Check out the info page at simplepassivecashflow.com slash for all my thoughts and ideas regarding that subject. But yeah, Nick, thanks for uh, jumping on. I want you to give people a little bit of context for yourself as uh, kind of scroll down your personal financial sheet. If those are listening on the podcast, you can check this out on YouTube channel too. Hey, Lane. Thanks for having me on. A little bit about myself. I'm a straight W-2 worker. I'm an airline pilot, but also part-time. I'm in the military and Air National Guard. So um, I'm making most of my money just the hard way, trading time for money. So a little bit about myself, my family, I'm married, I've got three young kids. So that's taken a lot of my time and trying to figure out how I can realize my investing goals and plans for retirement while not completely ignoring, ignoring my kids. That's a pretty big factor for me when I'm trying to figure out what to do next for my investments. Tell us a little bit about the, the military, like what's your path out of that? I think there's a lot of military investing podcasts out there and platforms. A lot of those are for the enlisted dudes, the guys whose net worth is under 
a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars, but you more the officer route, and you're definitely years outside of the military. Maybe talk about like the path and where you came today, because you also have a civilian job too. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little bit different. So my dad was enlisted. I actually did a direct commission, become an Air Force pilot, and so I spent twelve、uh, years、uh, in the active duty Air Force, just flying around the world and traveling,、yeah. living all over. The, the mainland and in Hawaii,、I、spent a lot of time overseas in Germany and in Afghanistan. So、uh, I was able to build up a little bit of my net worth just because I was on the road. A lot of my pay was tax free, which is nice, and that's one of the, the big advantages that our military has. It's, it's a way for the government to limit the retirement pay that that we receive. So they classify some of our benefits that, that we get paid. As a housing allowance, or a cost of living allowance, or allowance for sustenance. Essentially, what that does is it classifies a good chunk. Sometimes, when we live in high cost of living areas, sometimes that cost our pay is maybe forty percent tax free, which is huge. It, it really lowers our our AGI. But and the reason why they do that is because when they pay us our retirement, they pay us a percentage based off our base pay, and they don't want to pay. Certain people, higher、uh, certain、uh, service members, higher amounts just because they live in in、uh, high cost of living areas such as California or Hawaii, and, and so on. So I built. I just worked as a, just as an officer through twelve years of active duty, and then I realized that I was just working way too much. And, and the Air National Guard was a way for me to continue my service to not. I'm going to say throw away, but to lose all my years of active duty service. But keep them and keep building on them to build toward twenty years and qualify for a military retirement. So I made that that change at the the twelve year twelve year point. Joined the the airlines because it offered a much better quality of life. It's a pretty common path for military pilots when they see the light. They see this job that offers half the month off or more for a lot more pay and a lot less headache because you don't have to deal with the. A lot of the bureaucracy and management in the airlines. So, guy, guys,、uh, a lot of guys in my shoes make that jump. But they still stay in like reserve status or Air National Guard or. Yeah, they, I hate to sound like a commercial, but it's nice in that for guardsmen we can jump back in, do our service once a month,、um, two weeks a year, and, and still keep acquiring, accumulating points towards retirement, and then. In my situation, it's nice that when there's an economic downturn in my civilian job. Might not be doing well. They might be threatening furloughs, or you know, other industries might be layoffs. Having the military is, is a fallback. It's nice because I can work full time in, in certain situations when there's opportunities available, and, and can replace my income if, if I if I take a hit on the on the civilian side. I've heard like the big perk of doing that is like the military will pay for your kids' college or something like that too, or is that? Is there something like that? For sure, yeah. It's called the post nine eleven GI Bill, and you have to do I want to say six years of service or or something like that in the military, and they'll give four years of college for you, but you can give it to your spouse, you can give it to your kids, you can spread it between、uh, multiple kids. That's what I've done, and it's if you're doing in state, it's, it's really nice in state school. If you're doing a private institution, it's, it's huge because they they cover the entire amount. If you're going to NYU or something like that, but they, they can offer they can cover a big chunk. But they also cover、uh, 
a housing allowance. Basically, they classify the, the you get the same rate as a staff sergeant, a mid enlisted member would get for a housing allowance while you're going to school. So in high cost of living areas like the West Coast, you can you can really squeeze out a lot of benefit from the GI Bill. So it's it's definitely something that a lot of guys sign up for, at least on the enlisted side, to to get that free college. Is that kind of most what makes up like why you still stay in it? Because it's kind of mind numbing work, right? Yeah, I mean, it's so the carrot at the end is is probably the easy answer. Yeah, I want that twenty year retirement because it's pension guaranteed by the you know U.S. government, and if I certain. If you do 20 years of active service all at once, you can start collecting immediately. So some of my active duty friends can start collecting maybe at 38 and then they can start, you know, a whole new career while they're receiving a, you know, multi-thousand dollar pension every month. But there's a lot of insatisfaction in, in service and in doing something for the country, doing something for the community. And in my case, uh, being in the Air National Guard, if there's a disaster, a natural disaster or something like that, the Air National Guard is who gets called first. And then a lot of times when there's something bad ha- happen in your community, you want to help out and you want to do something. If you're a, if you're a policeman or a fireman, you're going to be on the front lines and helping out. But a lot of people, they don't have a way to you know contribute rather than donate to the Red Cross. If you're in the Air National Guard, the, the National Guard, Army National Guard, you're going to be called up almost guaranteed, and you're going to be doing something to help the community to alleviate the, the pain and suffering that's going on. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I get an opportunity to lead, to help out my my unit and help out fellow airmen. And there, there's a lot of gratification that comes with that, that I don't get in the, the civilian job, where if I'm flying my airline, I just show up and it's like driving the bus where I just go and enjoy my time off and go work out, eat good food at in foreign places. It's not much. So it's just a balance trying to not have a lot of gratification from your employment, but not get burned out and want to pull your hair out because you're you know crazy from the, the pace of the work and demands. In 2015, I had 11 turnkey rentals and realized that there's nothing passive about direct ownership in rental properties. This coming from an accredited investor perspective. Our group these days are mostly accredited investors, strictly looking for syndication deals for a purely passive investment strategy. One part of my portfolio is the American Home Owner Preservation, or what folks in the Hui call AHP. George Newberry, once apartment investor and mentor to myself, is now sponsoring podcasts for the fourth year in a row. His private note fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts out the middlemen and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while cashing your distribution check on a monthly basis. Find something else better out there? Just let me know. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahptitle.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ahp. And don't forget to join our private investor club to get more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. I think you got a good thing. You got two jobs and if one goes down, you're diversified both ways. So let's dig into the the numbers here. Your net worth, you're about a million bucks, essentially an accredited investor. Salary and wages, about 15,000 a month. What does your spouse do? What's is that, or is that primarily you? Yeah, that's all me. My my wife used to work a little bit when she could, but due to COVID, she's not really she's not doing anything. 
would like her to work at some point, but my kids are really young. My youngest is, is three. They're just a handful trying to chase them all around with all their activities. There's not a lot of free time for her and my job's pretty demanding. So it's nice that my wife can just stay home and uh, take care of the, of the household and make sure the ship is running right and everyone's on time to where they need to be. Considered, go ahead. Which is actually like an ideal strategy for if you ever wanted to do real estate professional status too. But yeah. what is her capacity for earning? What If she were to go back to a full-time day job, where would she? She's She's been out of the workforce for a long time. So it, it would be hard for her to, to jump in and make a large salary. And then that's why we just focused on me as the breadwinner and, and she'll just, not just, but it's a huge job at, at home to take care of the kids. But we've had a you know, division of labor, as you would say it for now, while the kids are young. When the kids are in school, when they're all in school, that we've talked about looking at maybe doing real estate professional status trying to figure out if we can pick up some rental property to manage and to realize, unlock all those passive losses. But I think we're still a couple of years down for going that, that route. And I, I just don't, I don't think I can make quite enough money to make it worth, worth the squeeze as far as annual income. I think I will in, in a couple of years. So the timing might just work out where I'll be in a, a couple of years, I'll be in a high enough tax bracket where I can use real estate professional status. And then my wife might have the, the time and bandwidth to, to take on some, some of that work outside the home. Yeah. So let's, uh, I'll unpack that for folks. Nick's kind of got a good handle on this. As, as soon as he says that his spouse doesn't stay at home, doesn't make as much money as him, which is, I don't know. I see half, half. I see sometimes it's two doctors and it's a oh, goodness. Like neither you need to just go to work or you make so much that you guys just have to go to work. But in these situations where it's a little lopsided, you start thinking, hey, maybe one of you guys can be real estate professional. Of course, you're not going to need a, you can't have a full-time job. You've got to have 750 hours of active participation. And there's some fine print in there, obviously. What that allows you to do is take your passive activity losses that you get via bonus depreciation from some of these larger deals and offset that ordinary income category. But as Nick is keen to acknowledge, they make about 100 under 200 grand a year AGI wise, it really is, as we say in Hawaii, it's poho. It doesn't make too much sense unless their AGI was maybe a little higher over $300,000, $350,000. Cause that's when you really get that savings, tax savings by bringing that lower, bringing your AGI lower. But right now, they don't pay too much taxes. They're not in the danger zone or the, the red zone for taxes. So it, this is an art form and these tax brackets change throughout the years. And I, mean, I guess, Nick, how would your income go up? You would increase the civilian pilot? Pay yeah, or? it's essentially another point on my taxes with the military. We have the SCRA, Service, Service Member Civil Relief Act or something like that. I can't remember what it stands for, uh, SCRA, but it allows military members to retain their state of residence that they had before or their permanent what they plan to have as a state of residence independent of whatever wherever they're working on full-time active duty orders which i'm on right now there's a couple states out there that don't charge state income tax so it's a nice advantage um, that uh, military members can retain residency in one of those states and not have to pay pay state income tax so i got that benefit there but talking about the perspective increase in, in pay with the with the the airline industry, 
for pilots. We just get paid on a, a negotiated scale or whatever they, the, the union MEC can get from the company. And so we know what we're going to get paid based on what airplane that we fly and what seat position, whether we're in the captain or first officer seat. And if we just assume normal growth and of, of the industry and that the pilots have to retire at age 65, as it's mandated by the, the FAA, the government, there's going to be movement ahead of me. And we're also, I uh, didn't bring it up, sorry, that we're our seat position and airplane that, that we fly in is determined by senior, our seniority, which is strictly by date of hire. And we move up in seniority as people at the top retire or get medically disqualified or leave for whatever reason. And so I can project in a couple of years, I should be able to move up to a captain seat, captain position, and where my pay pay scale will increase dramatically because it's like the, essentially that first officer makes like half of what the captain makes. Not exactly, but just for round numbers, it's like that. More lives at stake, essentially, right? Yeah. Bigger planes, more lives. So before I forget, you mentioned the, I think the thing where you can go on military orders, I think it also applies to civilians working for the government overseas. We actually have another guy in the family office of Hana Mastermind that you're also a part of. Remind me to connect you guys, but I think that's what they do. And they made their uh, residence to be, I think, Washington or something like that is what they conveniently selected. Washington has no state tax. Yeah, you guys should probably put your guys' heads together on that. I don't know where you would want to live, either Florida or, or Washington. That Those are one of the ideal states, I would think. But Yeah, I know a lot of people that are Washington residents, for sure. Yeah, I don't work for the government. <laughs> but um, yeah, something, yeah, remind me again, I'll make that connection for you. A lot of cool stuff in the film that people are doing that are, you might have to buy a house up there, just buy a crappy house. I think that's what they did. But <laughs> but it, it's worth it, right? To shelter the state taxes. Yeah, whatever we can do to not pay taxes the legal way, I'm all for it. Yeah, so if your income does double, that'll put you in over $330,000 HEI. So then that would definitely bring the real estate professional status into play, potentially. Living in Hawaii, maybe do a short-term rental, something that's fun. Start to get... I just plant the seeds now because a lot of this takes years to really implement, especially if you're doing like a short-term rental, you guys aren't going to do it right away and you're not going to do it. It's got to be your spouse's project. So maybe start thinking of the the fun idea of having a rental property now that you guys actively manage. It could be fun. They could like it. And I think maybe it shows the kids like, look, people are paying us to live here. It's like the feedback loop is a lot better than boring rentals or syndication deals where you get paid on a quarterly row up. They don't really, kids don't understand that type of stuff, but they understand when that ching sound comes on the app, that's money in the bank in a week. So just some thoughts there. And then living expenses. Is this what uh, people with kids spend a month? (laughs) Yeah, it adds up. All the the kids activities and they need stuff, they need new shoes, really growing. feel like you buy you buy something and the next month it doesn't fit them anymore. Yeah. What do you guys pay for rent? Like or housing? Four four thousand, which is kinda high, but we get a lot of benefits. Of yeah. And you guys I wanna highlight you you guys rent, right? These are the guys doing it the right way. Tell us a little bit like how 'cause you you did that before we met, I think. 
Yeah, I and I have this discussion a lot with my friends who they know I live in a nice area close close to the ocean. I'm paying for having that quality of life the way I see it. And uh, they question, oh, why don't you buy? Why, like you're throwing so much money away in rent. And then I, I just respond, hey, do the numbers. Like look at what, you know, how much you're paying in your mortgage and include maintenance, CapEx, include all the little you know, utilities, I'll include all the little things they have to pay for. If you're paying for yard service, bug service, just everything. And the time, you have to also account for the time that you have to spend. If something breaks, that you got to you know deal with finding a contractor or fixing it yourself. And I, I do the math all the time and I try to compare it. Like, okay, I can buy a place and spend all this money or I can rent. And, and because where I live, everybody wants to own and we're willing to pay for it and pay the you know astronomical prices. The rents are cheap because there's a lot of people that have these houses and, and sometimes they just buy them to lock up capital, I'm, I'm guessing, and they're fine with just making depreciation in the long run. They don't care if they're you know losing money on it. The rents are pretty low. The, to live in the same house, same area and own, I think I would have to pay, comparing all expenses, I would have to pay thousands of dollars more per month and so I just, it's just the not to mention that quarter million dollar down payment that you got to yeah. flop down. Yeah. Just last year I had a, a fridge that went out and I, an oven uh, range that, that went out and during COVID you couldn't find them. I went to the, uh, I was in the, the, the appliance, one of the appliance stores to see what they had because our landlord let us pick out the replacement and they had two in stock and they were like the, the high end 4,000, no, not 4,000, really they, $2,500 model ones. And you're just like, man, this is nuts. But I, I didn't have to deal with it. I was like, hey, this is all I see. You know, let me know what you And they're probably like, don't sue me, Nick. You don't have a refrigerator. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, right? People for, from the from the layperson, what kind of idiot? Rents. People like you and me, right? <laughs> That's why we get such a good deal on it. And then the quarter, uh, quantify the quarter million dollars sitting there as debt equity. Could but be it's not, a, but it's not a hard, it's not, I'm not saying I'm going to rent forever. If it's flips and it's cheaper to own. I'm going to go buy a house tomorrow. I don't, I'm not tied, tied to, I'm not married to a certain strategy, rent or own. I'll do whatever makes more sense, what will save me money in the long run. And then maybe at some point I'll decide oh, I want some stability. I don't want to, I don't want to move you know, because my landlord's decides to sell or whatever. I may, maybe I'll buy, but hopefully I'll be in a much better position where I won't care about making as much money anymore. Yeah, I think you get to that. You, you just get used to it and you enjoy the freedom. If your landlord makes you move, well, you just pay a couple thousand dollars to get Island Movers to move your stuff for you and you go on a little vacation, come back and you're, you're in a brand new place that you don't have to upkeep again. But I've thought about that. When do you, when the heck do you buy, right? I don't, maybe in Hawaii, like to me, the how the the quality of houses don't really. There's a big gap between 1.5 million dollars and below, and something a lot bigger and nicer. I, I'm more of that delay gratification type of guy, and just if I'm gonna buy a house, I'm gonna buy something like four four million and above, do something like that, and as a means to just lock up the equity once I max out my infinite banking thing. But that's a a while from now, I think definitely. I'm not a good hard and fast rule guy, but I think people shouldn't buy their house maybe until their net worth is a million to a few million dollars, which is crazy, right? Because most of your neighbors, their net worth is barely a quarter million, but they own 1.1 1. 
one one point five million dollar houses with yeah. what they're they're doing out there. Yeah. I also think people's needs change too. What you want might be different ten years from now. Right. More people living in your house, right? Exactly. And maybe you want to send them to school somewhere else or get them into another school district. You have the ability to move around. Maybe have two. Something I've thought about is like, why not have two houses that you rent? One near their school, one, I don't know. Just These are the ideas that happen when you think outside the box. You wouldn't have to spend all your time commuting. Especially with a short-term rental option where you can make the house do something for you while you're not in it. There you go. Buy that house in Honolulu that you live and then rent it out on the weekend. It'll it'll rent out, guarantee. Yeah. And then you can justify having somebody clean the house for you two times a week to deal with that. Your your house cleaner. That's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. What a crazy, (laughs) what a crazy family. But all right. So let's dig into... So I'm going to go into your liquidity and kind of the goal of this exercise is like, all right, what, where are we going to invest first or what you've already been investing in syndication deals, but where's the next money coming from? This is the deployment plan. Maybe you take, you probably got a good idea. What was your plan of attack here? You got about 180 in liquidity, some lot in checking, most in the crypto stable coin accounts. You've got some Retirement plans, Roth IRAs, 401ks, 529s, about 370 in there. But yeah, so if one or two deals come up, where are you going to take the money from? What's your plan? So the easy way is just take it out of the, the some of the checking, some I have in checking. Obviously, I have to keep some of it just for living yeah. expenses. What is your, what's your, how much do you want to keep in the checking just as your emergency Probably. fund? Probably about 25000 just to cover because I'm not worried about not having money. It's more as I just don't want to, I got everything automated. So I don't want to check the balance because I just pulled too much money. Out. <laughs> yeah, it's very common. Right? We all got this stuff automated. So when it messes up, it's a huge freaking train wreck. And now, now you got five like NSF fees piling up. You don't know who to call first to ask for forgiveness. Yeah, so I get yeah. you. Yeah, most I don't know what your guys' credit card bills are, but I have a lot of business expenses, so mine sometimes can be like twenty grand or more a month. But I, I'm all I play the um, points game often. I haven't done it in a little while, but I'll sign up for credit cards and get the bonus offer and and rack up a fifty to a hundred thousand points for airline miles or or whatever, and then turn the next card. I just don't have any time to, to do it right now, but I've done that before. But not, and now, but I've gotten to the point now where if I buy anything, I, I want to use a credit card because I want to get the points because it's free money. I know I'm going to pay down all the balances every month and, and I get so much protection from the credit card issuer as far as for extended warranties and, and chargeback protection in case I get ripped off. So I try not to use cash for, for anything. The 2%, at least the double cash cards, or I use the American mm-hmm. Express ones for 2%. And then the 5% ones for gas, groceries, those categories. Yeah. You're like a lot of us in our group. We kind of, it's fun in a way. It is a little yeah. bit of a waste of time. I'm sure you probably draw the line at the manufacturer spend level, right? You're not buying $10,000 of mint quarters, sending it to your account, walking it over to Bank of Hawaii and depositing it. Or I, I used to I, do I, that. Okay, that I, makes I, sense. I used, <laughs> I used to buy. I used to buy like the special edition dollar coins from the U.S. Uh, Mint, 
And and then I'd have ten thousand dollars of one dollar coins in my house. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to use this. So I'll go to I'll go to Home Depot and I'll buy. You know how every time you go to Home Depot, I used to be a homeowner, but so every time I'd go, it'd be a hundred dollars. And I use, of course, I use a self checkout because I don't want to wait in line for you know the cashier. So I, I scan my things and and then I got to pay. And I'm literally putting one coin in at a time into the machine. I've got like this sack of coins and the people behind me look, think I'm crazy. I'm like, what are you buying? <laughs> a million quarters and you get that? And the receipt counts every coin as a separate line item. So I get this long like Walgreens uh, CVS kind of re- receipt at the end. I don't play those games anymore. It's yeah, but no, it, it's very common. I think a lot of us in the foam, we did craft like that in our 20s, maybe early 30s for the late bloomers. Yeah. Sometimes I still do that stuff. But yeah, definitely draw the line at like a lot of the kids these days you do the manufacturer spin where they, the last one I heard, they, they'll buy like a really expensive laptop, like a five, $6,000 laptop from Apple. They'll pay a hundred bucks with a debit card and they're, they use the same, they're, like a, they're using a Visa debit card. They use a Visa credit card to put the manufacturer spend on. So the, so it's like a split tenor purchase. And then they go back the next day and they return the laptop and put it on that $100 debit card. I, I think that's a little like unethical in my opinion. I don't know, but that's just what people do. That's, I don't know. Fun, yeah, I mean, you got all the time in the world. Why? If, only, if only you're single and you had no kids, you could just do that all day long. You'd be at the mall <laughs> buying yourself all the free Jamba juices and that type, doing that type of stuff all day long. All day. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Maybe drain this down to 20 if you can. And then your plan, how long have you been doing like the stable coin and then the crypto investing? So you've got 30 grand in the stable coin and 100 grand in more like Bitcoin, Ethereum, the, the main stays. Yeah. And I, it was an accident because my, my plan was to put it all into stable coin and maybe dabble just like. 10, 20 grand in, in Bitcoin, just, just more as play money as a serious investment. But then I saw that the, some of the exchanges I was trying to use were charging a lot of fees for the stable coin because obviously they want to get they want to get paid. And then I realized, oh, I can buy Bitcoin instead and not have to pay the fees. And then I can just exchange it, tra- trade it for stable coin. I did that. Uh, I started doing that last month, bought the Bitcoin and ethereum and, and then it took off and i'm like oh man I- <laughs> how much did you put in there originally oh i i want to say i want to say maybe like 80 or something like that so it's gone up 10 20 grand like i can't i don't remember exactly i i stopped, I stopped trying to, trying to watch it yeah yeah just kind of crazy it's it's fun but it's not a, it's not a good long-term strategy i, I don't think i'll just keep some in just because it's fun just to speculate but not going to buy any anymore. I, I want to try to, I think I want to try to move some of it out into uh, a real estate syndication or, or maybe move it into stable coin. I don't know. It's just hard, right? Because there's so much hype and on the, on those cryptocurrencies, everybody's and, excited thinking it's going to go to the moon. And I think it's a nice time now, not that it's like, it's definitely past the early stages, but the nice thing I think is that the institutions have signed off on it and they're involved so that, brings another layer of stability to this whole thing. But my thing is keep it between one and 10%. 1% if you're lower net worth, 10% if you're higher net worth or above. I think that's my goal pulse personally. Maybe I'm playing around with 1% at this point, but it takes yeah. bandwidth to learn it and 
that's what we're talking about this in a little bit in our group, right? It's you don't need to know anything about it, which is dangerous too. I, I do the, the speculative coins. They're, you know, they're the rational part of my brain tells me it's just dumb, right? There's nothing back in it. It's not like real estate where real estate is actual can be a cash flow and asset. But the stable coin a little bit because the yields are so good. At one point, I was getting twelve percent on my stable coin, which is a dollar pegged uh, cryptocurrency, and that's and it's super liquid. I can just sell it whenever I want. So it's just man, that's. It's hard. There's a little bit of risk there in that I don't know if the, ex- the exchange could get hacked or whatever. They have insurance too. Still, it's all new and you know uncharted territory. I think. Yeah. During the BlockFi one, I think they gave me like 8.6% on the stable coin, but you're doing the other one then? Was it? Yeah, Gemini Celsius. Cel- yeah. Celsius is at one point was paying 12 for the stable coin. Now it's around 10 and a half. Nexo pays pretty good also uh, for their stable coin interest. Yeah. I don't know how they do it, but I probably should should understand that a little bit better. Yeah, the, my understanding of BlockFi is probably the most secure of them, right? They're more the most financially like solvent one. They're, they're, they have insurance more than the others. To me, I was like, I don't know about this stuff. I'm just going to go with the biggest one. I don't care about making 10, 12% as opposed to 8.6. 8.6 is good enough as long as I don't lose the whole damn thing. Yeah. That's why I stayed with that one. So say a deal comes up, 50 grand, are you taking it from here or where are you taking it from or this retirement fund? So I would, I kind of think the, the market, I don't know, the, the market scares me yeah, a lot. And more so, than the crypto, okay. Yeah, so I've got a 401k that I want to pull money from. It's the, it's the government one, it's called TSP for savings plan. And I don't like how, I don't, their performance is not, has not, been as good as my civilian 401k and my my IRA, which has just been in a uh, target retirement fidelity uh, fund. And so I, I would like to pull money out of my TSP 401k account. But some things I'm considering there, it's a Roth account. So a majority of the balance should already have its taxes paid. So I'll just have to pay the taxes on the gains. But I'm going to have to pay a 10% penalty over the entire amount. So did you do the CARES Act thing last year? I maximized that. And I did that for my wife too. And so I was a huge benefit. I'm glad you, you mentioned that. That, that was, it was like a get out of jail free card. I think. Yeah. Hopefully they do something like that again this year. Uh, I they think will. they will. I, I, I hear so. more stimulus plans coming and I'm sure they'll stuff that in there somewhere. Then it's getting confusing for the average person to understand it at this point there's multiple of those get out of free jail cards i think that's government never they never make things simple so this tsp is roth then you already paid the taxes on it so this is where there's really no path there's an art for form what i'll normally what i normally say people is like invest your liquidity except you're investing in freaking crypto which defies gravity (laughs) But then I, at that point, I usually listen to what you say and I feel, I, I get a sense of fear for this stuff. I agree with you. Take this stuff out, right? Just if nothing for quality of life and peace of mind, because I would agree with you. I think all these stocks and I mean, they're all time high is just basically because of four or five trillion dollars pumped into the system this last year. The thing is, if I'm going to pay the taxes on it, um, probably going to be in a higher tax bracket in a couple of years. So take my medicine now, it won't be as bad as later. Just something I'm, I'm thinking about. And I think because, as we said earlier, your, your income is going to be going way up aggressively in the next three to five years. I would 
the plan I would recommend for you is to take as much out to get right up to that higher tax bracket. I think it's about $330,000. AGI is the magic number I think you want to shoot for being every okay. single year. So that means leaking out, maybe you're at 150 now. So that's what, 180 every year? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's the, that's the perfect number, but that's the idea of post-tax money or pre-tax, post-tax, the one, the non-Roth stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's, so the, this is your 401k stuff, like 170 grand. So you should knock that out in this next year then, right? Yeah. Understanding like, it, right? Yeah, I'd like to. And, and a lot of my pay right now is not taxed on my W-2 jobs. There's a little bit more more space there also. Yeah. You got a lot of like investable funds. So maybe the real plan I would suggest is like plan on leaking this 170 out in two years. Okay. So go, or maybe, you know, 50, 50, 50 in three years. There's really no, because you can take, if you get in trouble and, or not really in trouble, but if there's like deal after deal after deal, three deals coming out in a row, just take it out of the, the Roth, right? You already paid the taxes on it, but have this, you're on the three, four year plan to take this okay. out. And then this is being your get out of jail card or not bail, bail you out in case there's a lot of deal flow. But what are you doing? Are you doing that like an infinite banking thing? I think you should do that, man. Yeah, I've got, I got some quotes and um, trying to figure out how much I want to put as far as for the, for the writer to do the, the additions. But the way it was explained to me is I should try to get a big policy now. And then if I don't want to put in the max, that's okay. As long as I'm putting in the, the minimum for the, of addition. course, the insurance salesman is going to say that. Yeah, I, I, but I would like to, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot more about it and I'm still trying to figure out like the strategy. I, I get it. Like you have this cash value in there and you, you want to buy a car, you can just pull it out and you have a lot of benefits. Like you can not have, you can self-insure and not have comprehensive and in collision insurance and, and get your insurance rates down. And then for deals, I can just put 50 grand in to my cash policy and then take the 50 grand out as a loan and invest in a deal and just have that money out and re recapitalize it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think it's something I want to do. I just, I'm just trying to figure out like the day-to-day -day strategy on it, using it. I would disagree with the insurance salesman. And I would say the first one you want to do is a little smaller so you can understand the feel for this thing and then size up to the one that you want to do maybe a year or a few years later and just layer it on top of the current one. They're, the reason why the salesman wants to do that because most Americans are lazy and once they do something, they're likely not going to do something again as they continue to binge on Netflix and whatnot. So that's why the insurance salesman, they want to get paid. So they want to load you up with the biggest thing right off the bat. And I think for you personally, you have a lot of liquidity lying around. I don't know how you how quickly you want to deploy this into deals. Where you're at, you've already in some deals, maybe plan on deploying one a quarter at most, maybe, I don't know, but nothing crazy. So like you're at a good, good, steady state. You've been investing for about a year now into alternative assets. So what, I mean, I'm kind of like the fortune teller here. Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself before I read your palm or. I, I like real estate. I like being in real estate. I, I want to be as much as I can. How much were you thinking about putting into the life, the infinite banking every year for the five or six oh, years? I was thinking something like 40 grand uh, a year, um, just, you know, throwing it out there, but it's not really based on anything um, other than okay. I can just, I know I can hit that 
I can hit that number without. I, I like that number. So here's one one general rule. What I'll do is I'll take this net cash flow, which you're make, you're able to put away eighty grand a year, and I go one third of that. Where I come up with that rule, just trust me. But one third <laughs> of that is like thirty grand, right? Yeah, that's I would say that's the low end for you. But because you have a lot of like liquidity lying around here. And you're already telling me you want to take this out and you have 180 here, I would push that a little higher. So I like how your initial guess was 40 grand higher than that 30 grand. Mm. But maybe if you want to go with that, cool. Like I said, you can always size up and put another one on top of it. I think at the bare minimum, do 30 or 40 a year. Okay. But I think, I don't know, maybe just do 50, just do a round number. If you want to do, you could do 100, I think. But I would rather you guys size into this stuff and get us get a feel for this thing because there are downsides, right? The downside is heavy fees in the beginning, right? So for the lower net worth guys with no liquidity who are listening, don't do this. You're not like Nick, but I don't know. Maybe munch on that. The the other thing I was considering is the the guaranteed return of four percent that's going to go away at some point because rates have been so low for a long time, motivating me to get a policy now, but. I guess it'll take a while to make that change. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't. I I hear you guys talking about that. To me, that's just kind of noise because the, you're not doing it for the rate of return anyway. Whether it goes down to two from four, I don't care. You don't care. <laughs> like all this other money, other places, right? This is just a place to store. Yeah. If the if that rate goes down, wouldn't the rate to borrow it go down too? One would assume. Yeah, you're right. Right. So it doesn't matter is the way I'm looking at it. But I don't know. Don't let it. I think you should do this thing, but don't yeah. let that's just more sales tactics to create urgency is what yeah. I see it. You know? Everybody's got to get theirs. Yeah. Yeah. No, nobody does anything unless there's some sense of urgency. Yeah. Even smart people, you got to trick them to do the right thing. But yeah, I would do, I don't know. Yeah. Like the 40 grand, I think you're good with that. I, I really think. If you wanted to wholeheartedly trust me, I, I would say just do a hundred. I mean, you're going to take the money right back out and invest it anyway. But if you just wanted to set it and forget it, but we'll go with 30, 40 a year. Yeah. Cause what you'll do is you'll drain out your liquidity and you'll replace it right back to where it was essentially. Cause there's going to be a couple of years at least where you're going to be really fat with money. And you're, and another reason why I'm saying that higher number, like hundred grand a year, your income is going to be greatly increasing too which is why i think you can be more aggressive with it yeah but yeah, yeah get, that, I, get that done man in the next six months yeah i'm, I'm pretty close I, I did the medical exam i just knocked that out and so i think i've just got to wait for the underwriter to do their thing and then they'll come back to me with paperwork yeah but yeah the only other thing if you got any other topics the only other thing like me personally and not saying that you should do this but I think that's why you have people around you that least that understand the stuff that you can have these type of conversations, whether you and I see eye to eye or agree. I would, if it were me, I would feel uncomfortable with it in Ethereum, Bitcoin, or non-stable coin. That's a lot of money in there. I would be doing is I would be sliding half of this into stable coin, and then I don't know that's a big number. That's ten percent of your net worth into <laughs> something so that you could like lose. <laughs> If you lost half of it, that'd be 50 grand. You would feel like crap. That's just how I quantify it in my head. I want to, what's the magic number where like you lost 25 grand in this maybe. And you're like, I'm going to go to the beach and not worry about it. So if that's the case, then 
hedge your number down and your position down. I don't know. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable with this amount, but you can do what you want. You're, yeah, it, you're it, also going to, this will, well, this will probably double and you'll just rub it in my face and <laughs> buy me dinner one day and say, don't worry, there's uh, 10,000 more dinners that I could buy you because I didn't listen to what you said and crypto doubled in the next six months. But that's just how I would do it. I don't know. Yeah, it's like a religion at, at this point, the, the way people believe in believe in cryptocurrency replacing the dollar or replacing not the dollar that dollar too but I, I guess the more logical would be gold as a store of wealth i'm coming around a little bit i don't fully believe in it but it's definitely it was a it's yeah. a haphazard way to invest that money it, it wasn't i didn't intentionally go in that that big on it yeah yeah what would you do if these are your current syndication holdings if you, this was like triple right what would you do at that point and would you just throw more into that? Or I think that's what you need to think where this is going. This is all, everything is an interim solution. So we get to the end game, but then end game never gets there because then ideally these deals should cash out and give you more money at that point. Right. But this, it's just, but then I think that at that point you get more and more ballsy with this stuff. Like once your net worth goes to $3 million, I think then this amount of money is appropriate, right? Like I said, for the guys who are in the lower net worth spectrum, I think a smaller position of crypto is appropriate. But as your net worth increases, yeah, if you want to go to 5%, 10%, I think that I'm just thinking of it as a theoretical perspective, right? Like you want something very volatile, high risk, high reward. It, it greatly increases as your net worth increases, I think, as a percentage. It's just the way I look at it. But then again, you don't get unbroke if you don't take some chances, right? It's hard. I fully believe both sides of the coin. Half of me thinks, man, that is stupid to be having all that money in, in Bitcoin. It's not real. It's real, but it's not based. It's not a, it's not a cash flowing you know, asset. It's just all pure speculation. Right? I just look at the game. Look at people, how people believe in it. Like they think it's like the second coming of Christ. Yeah. This was a conversation I had multiple times last year when we were doing that Chase Creek development deal where I was like, you guys who don't have a good, like if back then people were worried about their day jobs, right? If, especially the oil and gas guys. And I was like, look, if you got to worry about where your money is coming from, maybe this isn't the deal to go into. Maybe you're looking for more of a cash flow deal. But then if they're there, but then I was like, but how else are you going to get above accredited status and beyond right? if you don't take some chances now? So I don't know. Those are just two, two ends of the spectrum. Make your own decision. Good luck. I, I definitely think you got you have to make some calculated risks and figure out where, where you're willing to accept it. Because if you accept no risks, I don't know. You think about the guys who are scared to put money into anything and they have it all in their savings account, getting 0.5% high interest savings. That's why wow, that's the worst thing that you could do yeah it's just yeah it's just, you get nowhere with that but then or you buy crypto and it's completely opposite yeah. of the spectrum no what i think is like the wrong there's only one rule that's wrong here is like to use the analogy of say we were like gambling in vegas we need to have a certain set point on where to take the overflow of profits to at some point because if we keep playing the game in the las vegas casino we're going to lose that's how the odds mm -hmm. are pegged now, maybe crypto isn't the same type of game, but I think it's prudent to like, maybe if this doubled in the next six months, you have a pre-plan to take some of that overflow into real hard assets. I think that's the prudent thing to do. Like at least you set the terms so you don't get 
money drunk with all these returns. Because in a way, that might be what be happening here. You had a little nice 20% return, but that's nothing. Like a lot of these kids have 10, 20, 30x on their money right now yeah. with this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and I, I like the, the strategy of having a diversification plan where certain asset investment categories, you're only going to have X amount of percent in. And so crypto for me was 5% and I went way over that accidentally. And I, yeah, I, I definitely see a lot of value in trying to push that back down closer to 5% of my net worth and not going over more over that because then I won't cry at night if I lose it all. Around. Right. You're now you're the bit you're up, you're up on the house, but make sure you don't lose. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll wrap this up here. If you guys like these, we have all these, the YouTube channel. And if you guys sign up for the, the club, there's also a page with all these in order of net worth. So you guys can see, find where you are in terms of net worth and start listening from there on and see what else is ahead of you guys. Thanks Nick for putting yourself out there. I think a lot of people got some value out of this. If not, they're just going to invest in crypto because they saw one guy do it. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that on my account, please. Uh, financial <laughs> advice. We're going to get your own professional. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.